Welcome to the VP Live Network. Your 30-second countdown has begun. This show is intended for adults of legal smoking age, and as such, the content is not intended for viewers and listeners under the age of 18. Vapor's Place is in no way responsible for the opinions of any host on the VP Live Network. Please grab a vape, sit back, and enjoy the show. going on everybody how are you um today kind of sucks so yeah um mr aaron biebert is going to call in for a few minutes tonight um he's only got about 10 minutes so i will not be taking calls while aaron is on the air with us um i have a radio interview that Aaron did that I'm going to play for um, to make sure that it's in my podcast replay and I have some stuff from the Heartland Institute Um, it is a talk that Vicki from Signot whom I absolutely adore um, it's thanks to her that I managed to stay a vapor for the first several months Um, and Brian And Brian is a wonderful, wonderful advocate for us. So the the talk that they give provides a lot of really useful information. And I don't think a lot of people that needed to hear it have heard it. So um, you're kind of like my captive audience, folks. Because of the fact that I am going to include both of these bits of audio in in this replay, um, I am going to attempt to be on my very best behavior and not cuss. I'm I'm pretending that I have grandchildren in the room. You have no idea how difficult this is for me, uh, especially considering the way everything has gone today. Um, yeah, so yeah, y'all, y'all can cuss in the chat for me. You, you know what I would be saying here, so you can, you can just say it for me. Um, internet petitions. I, I briefly wanted to mention internet petitions. If you... If you want to sign an internet petition, be my guest. If that floats your boat, um, go for it. That's really all I have to say about that other than the fact that personally, I think they are useless. I have yet to see an internet vaping petition that accomplished anything. Um, I would suggest that you take that time and do something that could be considered more constructive. But if if that's what you want to do, then then 
by all means, go for it. Don't PM this stuff to me on Facebook. Um, it doesn't end well. Uh, it's not a big secret that I don't care for these things. I personally think it's a waste of my time. But that's me. And that's what I think is right for me. Um, you got to do what you think is right for you. Um, the sky is dark and stormy, but I wouldn't say it's falling yet. Um, we have a lot of time to fight this. The, the problem is, um, the, the problem is that... In 90 days, uh, the market freezes. And what that 90 days means is that nothing new will be able to go on the market after that date. Two years from that date is when we will pretty much have a blanket ban on the products that we like to use. But, you know, thankfully, um, I'm sure Big Tobacco is throwing a party today, and I'm sure Pharma is throwing a party today, because they their little cloud has a silver lining. It's good for them. <laughs> There's that. Oh, Aaron's on the phone. Hold on. Hey, how we doing? Good. How are you, sir? <laughs> been a long day. been a crazy day. That's for sure. Yeah, it's been an absolute crazy how day. Your, yeah, how about yourself? I uh, I heard you were outside today. Uh, you warm up? Um, I literally froze my backside off. Uh, aluminum bleachers? <laughs> aluminum bleachers tend to be oh, very goodness. frigid. Yeah, it was... It was... And, we're and it seems like we're still in winter here, so, you know. Yeah, here too. <laughs> so, a billion lives... <laughs> The the world premiere yeah. is is going to happen in the next few days. Yes, on uh, May eleventh, we are going to be having our world premiere down at a really cool film festival called Doc Edge. It's actually an Oscar qualifying film festival, um, and it's kind of the the main film festival like for these for our kind of movies um, for all of like the Asia Pacific Australia. Um, that region. This is actually like the the Hollywood of the Southern Hemisphere, where they made Avatar and Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. So it's a uh, it's really cool. Not a lot of people in the U.S. have heard of it, but around the world, it's definitely something that's a little bit more well known. And we're super super excited to be a part of it. So yes. Did you did you pick the tuxedo that your wife wanted? <laughs> uh, yes, I did. Uh, I did pick the tuxedo that she wanted although she did change her mind so um i don't know if it's the tuxedo that she wanted at the end but i guess we'll have to see i have i'm gonna surprise her <laughs> yeah the the best advice i could give you was uh ask your wife <laughs> pick right, the one your right. wife yeah, likes she, i did take some pictures um at the at the at the uh, company that was making the tuxedo and, and tailoring it or not tailoring it or uh, like fitting it um, so she can see it. Yeah, she's definitely on board with it 100%. And, uh, yeah, pretty 
pretty excited. She's got herself a beautiful dress to wear on the red carpet, and I'm super pumped about this. It's going to be a great time. So you sent out a very long, well, not it wasn't very long, but you sent out a nice email from A Billion Lives today um, in regards to the FDA deeming regs um, not actually being dropped, but they were put on the on the public review desk today. Um, and, of course, they, they right. suck. They suck. Um, but, you know, one of the biggest things that I have seen everywhere we went uh, Greg Connolly did an interview today on CNN International. And that reporter was just kept saying, you know, well, these these regulations are about labeling and they're about bans on minors. Are you against that? Right, right. It, is there like some well, kind of FDA... mandate that they're only allowed to say certain things? <laughs> well, the deal with this, and I mean, I know because I work work in this industry you know it's public relations and the number one thing you know for for the fda that they keep doing and they they actually responded to us on twitter today which was crazy i don't know what they were why they did that it just opened up the floodgates but uh basically they're just they've got their sticking points i mean this is something that hitler used to do is if you repeat a lie enough times people start to believe it and they've repeated time after time that that this vapor technology is somehow a tobacco product and now people are, are starting to believe it. And they also keep saying this is for the children and that it's just sensible regulations. And if they keep repeating that over and over and over again, tobacco products, helping children, sensible regulations, if they repeat that a hundred, hundred times a day, which they've been doing for the last, you know, last year or so, um, you're going to get a lot of reporters who don't take the time to research it. Um, to start uh, parroting that stuff back to the public, which is the problem that we have right now, is the media, some of them, are not doing their homework. Um, there's plenty of good ones out there, too, which are awesome, and I've been able to you know, convince some of them uh, to change their mind on some of that. But uh, there's plenty of good ones, and, yeah, I think the key is we need to find reporters that are willing to actually do the research and understand what they're talking about. And I saw Greg's interview, and, and that lady definitely didn't know what she was talking about. I mean, I was just, I was just sitting here going, what is, what is this, what is wrong with this woman? And, and I do it every yeah. time I watch an interview because it seems like a lot of the people, <laughs> your radio interview, by the way, which, which I'm going to imp- include in this replay, um, at least the gentleman you got to speak with, um, listened to what you were saying. Right. Yeah. He he's a yeah. He was a smart guy and was actually interested in in uh, hearing the answers to the questions that he asked, not just asking questions for the sake of asking them. And so yeah, we had a really good conversation. He did ask a lot of hard questions, and um, I feel like we were able to give him some uh, pretty good answers back. So yeah, I was pretty happy with it. Um, people are asking when and where are people in the U.S. going to be able to view the documentary. <laughs> right. Well, I just sent out an email today telling people where they I would know. be able to see it in the U.S. <laughs> but um, it, yeah, it doesn't. We don't have any dates set, though. The email basically said we're still waiting on uh, on figuring out um, the details on that. We were uh, there's a lot going on here with that. Surprisingly, the U.S. in some ways is 
has been um, one of the least supportive countries for our movie. As Imagine weird that. as that sounds, despite all the. I know it sounds crazy because I got a lot of American friends that support, but it's such a massive country. I mean, we have 200 million, or not 200 million, like almost 400 million people in this country. And, uh, you know, we only got 20,000 Facebook followers, and about half of those are from outside the country. So if you take that and you spread them all over the country, we actually don't have a lot of support, you know, in, in any major areas. Um, and so it's been kind of difficult to get Hollywood behind the film and to get um, theaters behind the film because they look at the numbers and they just say, hey, we're not, we're just don't think that this, uh, that this film is going to do what we need it to do from a business perspective. And so that's kind of the, that's the reality of it. And I know a long time ago when we first talked, that was my big concern. And I told everyone then is we want to have this film out there. We got to get, we got to get more people on it. And I know some of these, uh, thought chasing guys have, you know, hundreds, hundreds of thousands of fans, um, you know, but we don't. So that's why we don't have a U.S. premiere yet. And we need Sucks, to get this done. We not not you, Aaron, so, but I'm talking about we as in as in us Vapors. We need to get this done. Um, I see a lot of people posting all over the place, and it's it's like Chicken Little with the sky is falling. Um, and you know, <laughs> right, right. We've, well, in some ways, it is actually falling. I, I do believe we can turn it around. I mean, the people that have seen the movie. Um, and some of the early reviews and the uh, and the uh, the media that are that are connected to Dak Edge, you know, they're calling this. Uh, I mean, one of the one of the big the number one morning show in their whole country called it mind blowing. Another radio interview called it uh, shoot, a bloody awesome or something like that. Um, and we're gonna have a lot more of that. I mean, people like the film. The film's gonna work. It's gonna help people, but. Um, it's just not a topic that a lot of people outside of, you know, the healthcare world or vaping world really care about. And, um, you know, so if we don't get the vapors to get on board with this film, how are we going to get the non-vapors to get on board? And so, yeah, that's why I really encourage people. Like, I don't know what else, you know, I can do. We don't have a massive budget. And um, I am really pleased with the awesome support that we have gotten. Don't get me wrong. I'm really happy about it and some really awesome people. But, the honest to goodness truth is when you spread out, you know, our American supporters, you got like maybe five in every city, maybe a hundred in some cities, which we'll have big events at. Um, but even a hundred is not enough to even fill a theater. So, you know, it's, that's kind of what we've been struggling with uh, from a business perspective and then just from a funding perspective too. And so, you know, we don't have the funding necessarily to market something that big, you know, like a North American premiere until, Maybe we get um, some sponsors on board to maybe sponsor like an after party or something to help us cover the cover the costs involved with something like that. So I mean we're working on it, Jesse. Uh, Jesse's working his butt off on that. I'm I'm confident. You know I'm confident we're gonna get something worked out. The, the funny thing is, uh, there's a gentleman in Canada who apparently is willing to sponsor a giant Canadian premiere um, after party to kind of make sure that their country gets some press out of it. Um, but yeah, no one in the U.S. has stepped up yet, so <laughs> I don't know. I'm confused. Well, we'll have know. to see what we can do about that. Yeah, I, I hate to be whining about it, but everyone keeps asking me, and I guess that that's the answer is we just don't have enough support yet. So sucks, but I think we'll get there. I'm not worried about it, especially with uh, the FDA teaming regs out. You know, today 
um, there, I did get some calls from some people, um, some powerful people that want to do something in DC, but the funny thing is they just wanted to do it privately. So that doesn't really, that doesn't really help us change the public's perspective. So yeah, we're going to keep, we're going to keep pushing, uh, pushing for these people to, uh, behind it and uh yeah we're gonna have some big things no one needs to fear though it will be in the u.s we just got to keep pushing uh just keep pushing our, our reach bigger and, and get some more of these you know the powerful voices that are you know on the in the vaping community we need to get those powerful voices open talk about the film not just uh talking about their the new sales and the new mods that are coming out because those new mods aren't going to be around very much longer if we don't do something yeah um, who did you end up, um, who's coming to the premiere to broadcast the after party? Um, interestingly, um, I wasn't completely involved. I just shared that thing because Jesse asked me to. But uh, there is a gal um, from, uh, she's from France. She has a quarter million people that follow her on her broadcasting stuff, and she's going to come down and do it. So, there again, we got another outside the U.S. person who's going to be helping us because I don't know that <laughs> that's crazy. But yeah, it likes to be a French person, so <laughs> <laughs> um, but, <laughs> I don't know. It's so crazy to me. But uh, yes, yeah, so definitely a very global global film, and I guess our premiere will have a very global feel to it. Well, and I think um, with three too, different I think that's partially. So. I think that's partially our fault. I think like when I shared that post. That people were assuming you wanted some people that were local over there to do it. Um, I know a, oh. a lot of these guys here were thinking, well, I'm not going to volunteer because they don't want to pay my airfare from the U.S. over and back. Um, that's well, what I we think. Well, we, part have, of a, that we have a sponsor actually, um, uh, who is who is going to be paying for the travel costs. So. And I think I mentioned that in my post, but yeah, it was uh, a free trip to New Zealand uh, with all the expenses covered. That's a little spending money, but yeah, it looks like uh, looks like we did find somebody. But yeah, it was it was. I mean, not that we didn't have people that were interested. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, a quarter million people found this gal, and apparently she does a really nice job with her broadcast. So, I mean, it was uh, really great. I mean, we're happy about it. Don't get me wrong. Um, Just, and if you will. Um, Aaron, if you would get me uh, her information, I would like to put that out there um, for people so that if they want to tune in and see what the after party's like, they can. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we'll probably have to do some. We'll have to broadcast super late at night during the party because uh, the Americans will all be sleeping during the during some of it. I think it's, uh, what is it? It's like... I have a hard time with the the whole time zone switch over there. So the way I think of it is seven hours back and then one day forward. So <laughs> so so like right now, so right now it's like uh, about uh, one one p.m. tomorrow there. So yeah, by the time like we our red carpet stuff starts around six, I think, and then the actual premiere is at eight. Um, but six o'clock over there will mean about ugh, like four in the morning, four in the morning uh, East Coast time. So yeah, I don't know, <laughs> but there'll be replays and and all that. Should be should be fun. Although, uh, yeah, I've been told that there's gonna be some weather issues. So yeah, that'll be. I'll be curious. Yeah, thirty mile an hour winds. So. <laughs> On an airplane. <laughs> uh, 
so anyway yeah i'm not a i'm not a fan i'm not a fan of airplanes um and i'm not a i'm not afraid to fly i'm just very respectful when i do that i kind of that's what i tell people about um i'm not afraid of heights either i just have a really uh firm respect for them right well that's the smart way to be i feel the same way yeah i I, uh, you look down, you realize it wouldn't be that hard to be down on the other side of the, uh, where you are down on the ground. So, yeah. But yeah, with flying, yeah, I mean, this is going to be, I think, start to finish is like 38 hours or something like that. Um, at least what I, I saw, 33 hours. So, yeah, it's a long time. Um, the flying part is only about 22 hours, but there's some layovers and whatnot. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be quite the trip. So yeah, I'm looking forward to sharing a lot of pictures. <clears throat> a lot of pictures. Um, I actually have a new 3D or a virtual reality camera that I'm going to use to do some that, streaming. That 360 um, camera so made do, me sick. Yeah. I I can't yeah. I can't yeah. watch those. They they make me feel oh, like the room no, is tilting. Oh, it's not 3D. I screwed that up. It's not 3D. It's just virtual reality. So you could like turn your you could turn your uh, phone and look around. So like you're in the middle of the room and you can look around at it. So we'll we'll have some things like that. It's a little bit like yeah. I personally don't like 3D, um, and we weren't going to make a documentary in 3D anyway, just because that would be ridiculous. But uh, but this will be fun to, for people to be able to see, you know, parts of New Zealand and kind of experience some of that stuff too. So I'm excited for bringing people along for the journey. So uh, if anyone's interested, obviously they know where to find the billion life stuff. I'll personally be doing a lot on my Twitter and. Uh, Periscope and Instagram and all that. I'm just at Bieber, so just at uh, my last name, like I, Bieber, Justin Bieber with a T on the end. I had to have but, somebody uh, yeah, explain Periscope to me the other day because oh in, yeah, <laughs> yeah. In my world, a Periscope is the spyglass that comes up off of a submarine. That's a Periscope. Oh, did you used to work on a submarine? <laughs> no, I didn't used to work on a submarine, but that's what a Periscope is if you're over the age of forty. No, you're right. Um, right, well, which I almost am, so I definitely get that. But, uh, yeah, apparently these guys decided to call that live streaming app uh, Periscope, and I'm not exactly sure why, but, yeah, that's kind of the new kind of the new rage, so you can have real, real-time questions and answers and, and all that kind of stuff. So it'll be fun. We'll be doing some of that while we're down in New Zealand. And, and then uh, also, yeah, once we go over to uh, Warsaw for the European premiere at uh, – Global Forum for Nicotine. That's going to be fun, too. We're going to be uh, doing some traveling through uh, various different places. So, yeah, including, I think we may be in Istanbul for a little bit, too, again. So that's always crazy. But, uh, yeah, lots of, lots of stuff to show. So I'm excited excited for this. And I'm excited for this U.S. tour. We are going to do one. Um, we just haven't set dates yet because we're just getting all the details finalized. But, yeah, it is going to be fun when I think we're talking about getting a bus and going around the country and meeting everybody. So, Good chance to finally uh, get to put some faces with names here. Well, if, if you are even as close as Buffalo, New York, or Erie, Pennsylvania, um, I'll get there. If it's if it's like Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, that's going to be a little more difficult for me to get to. Um, I, I honestly know, uh, live in the middle of the sticks. You know, interestingly enough, a theater from Erie, Pennsylvania did call us. That's actually the first theater to call us. Um, and they want to show the film. So I don't know much about those details, but uh, I would assume that we'll probably have it in Erie, Pennsylvania there for 
for a little bit. So yeah, you're in luck. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if our tour our tour will go through Buffalo though, most likely because I know we're going to do Toronto, most likely. Um, and obviously Buffalo is right there. So yeah, if we can build a some sort of a base of support there in Buffalo, I don't know of many people from Buffalo. So like I said, I, I mean, do I know a lot. We seem to have a lot of friends all over the country, but yes. they're spread all over the place. And um, so you need to hit me really up for, pe- to... for who to talk to in Buffalo, because that's where actually that's where my, um, in air quotes here, my local late meet is, is in Buffalo. Oh, okay, cool. Well, so there, so yeah, if we could put, if we could get some people, I mean, the key thing is that, Whatever we do in these early stages has to be big enough because we need to keep building the attention mm-hmm. um, from Hollywood and from the media. And so a lot of people are like, well, what? Just throw it out on YouTube, bro. Like, and I understand that. But, but you that can't won't do help that. us get the word out about the film. Yeah, that's not helping. Not only will, we'll, yeah, we'll have no money, period. So all of the people that worked in the film will be poor and have to quit making films, probably. And we'll have no money to market the film, so it won't yep. get out there. So it's not going on. We're going to do it in theaters because that's the way to get everyone's attention. And um, eventually it'll all end up on, you know, like the streaming sites like uh, Netflix. I, well, where you, well, the Netflix thing, I mean, we just don't have enough interest in the movie yet for it to be on Netflix. I mean, like they're pretty much only taking like bigger films that have a lot of interest. Um, I think we're, we've made it. To that level i mean we we made the film in 4k ultra hd it's i think really high quality i think it would be something netflix would play but everyone seems to be really nervous about this whole vaping thing and primarily because they're worried about the advertising restrictions and and all of that and so really the community is going to have to push this thing if we want to get it all the way and and they have i mean the community is the main reason why we were able to get so many cool interviews with people and and it's been I mean, it's been great, but yeah, to push it all the way, we probably have to have a little bit more than 20,000 Facebook friends, you know, for a, for a worldwide film, you know. So we're going to keep working on it. That's my job. You know, that's my job. And so I don't know, maybe I haven't done a good enough job of sharing things or, you know, letting people know what's going on. And so now that the movie is done being made, you know, I'm going to try to spend more time doing that. So hopefully we can build some more fans. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That means start sharing a billion lives again. Um, and now would be the ideal time because there's so many people that are just, uh, what is, what are these regulations? We didn't know. Um, I, 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 that, that one's hard to swallow for me. Um, I don't. Yeah, if I had a nickel for all the times people said that to me today, I think we'd be able to fund our phone to have a worldwide release in every city yeah. in the world. I mean, just, what's going on? What do you mean? What? Like, yep. What do you mean FDA regulations? Like, where have you been for the past five years? Right. Yeah. Well, um, even this this uh, guy in Hollywood that uh, that I've been talking to that could uh, get the film distributed if he wants. He it turns out he's a vapor. He didn't know about this banning thing, and he didn't even believe it was going to happen. So you know, a lot of a lot of shops out there telling all their customers just to settle down, don't worry. You know, and I understand that, too, because it's hard to sell people a, a brand-new mod if it's going to be gone in a year or whatever. But, obviously, I think that's part of the reason why why a lot of vapors don't know what's going on. It's because their vape shops, which is kind of their their hub, is not telling them. So, yeah, I don't know. Although, I also think they should try something called the Internet and, 
you know, pay attention a little bit more. If this is such a life-saving technology for them, which it obviously is, they need to spend a little more time with it and understanding what they're actually doing and being a part of the community because if people don't get out there and fight this, it's going to go away. I mean, yeah. it's happened in other countries. Um, in the movie, we have a guy from Australia whose house was raided by the authorities. Big black SUVs pulling up, raiding his house. That's going to be happening in the U.S., guys, um, at some point here, because I know a lot of people are going to keep fighting this, and some people even said they're ready to get arrested. Well, it will happen. So, hope uh, you know. Hopefully, we can fight it now before it gets to that point. But we're going to have to make a really loud noise, and uh, I'm confident we could. Just, we got to decide to do it. Well, I think I, my hope is now, um, now that they've actually rolled out, because groups like Kasa have been saying for years, people, this is coming, this is coming, this is going to happen. And everybody, <laughs> everybody was, um, not everybody, but a large portion of people were sort of apathetic. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, not, not and, gonna happen. You know, they'll sort itself out. Like, yep. And maybe now the that there's actually it. a sunset like, date, all, all this stuff. Yep. Now that we have a sunset date, um, maybe we can get everybody in masses to want to stop it and do what we need to do to stop it. Um, and I, I have to thank you one more time um, because you're not a vapor. Uh, you are not a smoker, but you chose to make this film. Um, I think it's ironic that the FDA regulations are coming out the same week that your film, your documentary, premieres. Um, that's that's more than a little ironic to me. Um, it well, stands to reason that promoting this film and us, us trying to get this film promoted... Um, you've never asked the vaping community for anything other than their support and, and not financial support, but our social media right. support, our personal support. Um, and that that's all you've ever asked for. And my my hope is right now that you will get a whole lot more of that. Because Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I mean, I, I like I said, I hesitate to even explain the situation because I don't want to seem ungrateful for all the support because it has been amazing and there have been a lot of a lot of diehard supporters and I know it's taken you know because we started off right away obviously you know early on um when we start when we announced the film we were getting major support back then but obviously it takes a long time to make a movie and get it out there and so yeah I think people got a little little tuckered out from all the excitement but yeah now it's time to down uh couple cups of coffee and let's get at it because uh this is i think a way to get the the public opinion to start shifting so people stop you know saying that people are sucking metal dicks and things like that which you know all these negative nasty comments that i've been seeing um those gotta stop you know and i just think it's because people don't understand what's going on with vaping and um i think it's time for them to find out and i think that we're going to be the way that they're going to find out so i'm pretty pretty excited about that well, we I I wish you all the luck in the world, and I think this documentary is going to be very important to us. Um, have a great time. Enjoy New Zealand. I hear it's absolutely beautiful. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. Thank you so much, and uh, yeah, I'll let you get going, and uh, have a good rest of the show. We'll uh, see you all online. Thank you, Aaron. <laughs> Bye-bye. So, um, guys and girls, really, I cannot stress to you enough how important and how helpful I think it would be to us um, to get this movie premiered all over the United States. Um, we need it. We really need it. Now I'm going to play a radio interview that Aaron did. And um, this interview was on Radio Live. Um, on the 24th of April. Uh, Documentary Edge Festival starting off in Wellington on the 4th of May. One of the big features, and I think it will create some controversy uh, for those who have some sort of hysterical revulsion to anything that even looks like smoking. It's called A Billion Lives. Here's a touch of the trailer to give you some idea where it's coming from. And we'll be speaking with the director, Aaron Beebert, the other side of this. I always flinch when I hear colleagues saying things about e-cigarettes that they know or they should know are completely wrong or exaggerated or scaremongering. There's too much of that going on. They might or might not be able to help you quit, but there are definite harms that they can cause. Dangers of e-cigarettes are clear. It's the same as antifreeze. Cigarette companies realize that e-cigarettes are now a threat to the old business. And are they? Huge threat. 165,000 kids die from secondhand smoke. Every year, one billion people will die this century from tobacco. There is a solution, but it will cost big organizations billions of dollars. Smoking, it's good business. So they lie. We know that they don't actually allow people to stop smoking. Now there's even more evidence that, that these are a gateway to smoking regular cigarettes. And the e-cigarette industry has been ripping tactic after tactic from Big Tobacco's playbook. Today's electronic cigarettes are no better than the Joe Camels of the past. It's about one of the biggest public health interventions potentially of all time. If you look at e-cigarettes, growing evidence that this, is this could be the breakthrough that we're waiting for. If these things take off, potentially hundreds of millions of lives could be saved. This is a miracle. This is, you know, a, an absolute public health miracle in the making. That is some of the trailer from A Billion Lies. As I said earlier, yeah, I think it will ruffle a few feathers, and I think that's bloody great at the Documentary Edge <laughs> Festival. You, we, you don't want a whole lot of people coming along all agreeing with each other about how dreadfully treated some tribe in Mali is or something like that anyway, uh, although, of course, they are. But this, you don't go to the Documentary Edge Festival to agree with everything, and... I don't know if you if you were part of the um, anti-smoking I call hysteria. You won't like this either, but or or, or you may actually learn something. I think, and that would be a, a, a good thing. <laughs> uh, laughing at the other end, I don't know even where you are. Uh, is the director of this, Aaron Beebert. Where are you, Aaron? Uh, I'm over here in my hometown of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is just north of uh, Chicago. Okay. I think that sounds funny, right? You mentioned the people that will not like it. And it's funny. I mean, a lot of people are going to be uncomfortable with it. But, you know, at the end of the day, 
our goal is truth from some of the most trusted people in the world, and I think that's what we've got here. So, yeah, a lot of people will be uncomfortable, but I think a lot of people will learn something. So I'm yeah. pretty excited about that. Yeah, I learned a thing or two as well. The premise is the e-cigarette, the vaping, has been demonized, and it's been demonized on the back of the anti-smoking hysteria. It's kind of like collateral damage because it still looks like smoking, and people see people right. doing it, and they think you're addicted, you're damaged, it's a dreadful thing. You're going to encourage the children. It's a bit like if you shoot Bambi, nobody likes that. But if you shoot a paper mache Bambi, people still feel bad about it. Although right. it's irrational. Right, right. Is, is that basically the premise? Well, I think so. I mean, the, the bottom line is it's a very complex situation, but certainly because people that are choosing to quit smoking using new vapor technology, in some cases it, it does kind of look like smoking they're being thrown under the bus. So in some ways, you're in trouble if you smoke with these people. You're in trouble if you don't smoke. You just can't win. And I, I personally don't think that's fair. And so that's that's probably why we decided to do this movie. It's, it's just not right. Now, the principle of why you want to change this attitude is because it could save, not save a billion lives, but save a billion lives from dying prematurely from smoking-related diseases. I actually always thought that smoking was kind of on its way out. But when I found out that right now there's a billion people that are currently smoking, and in the next 20 years, you know, 1.6 billion people are going to be smoking, and that half of them will die early, and 70% of them want to quit. Almost a billion people are trapped doing something that's going to kill them. And yet instead of trying to help them, you know, we are uh, essentially just trying to cash in on them and make them pay a lot of taxes and and there's some technology and, and other ways that people are quitting but that's just being banned because it's hurting the pocketbooks of a lot of different people and a lot of very powerful people you go into a little bit of the background of how the vaping thing came about the e-cigarette how was it invented the modern vaping technology was really born in hong kong by a pharmacist who watched his dad die from smoking and was trying to quit himself but was actually having a real hard time with it and so he found this way of vaporizing nicotine liquid in the same sort of technology that you know like fog machines uh, in the theater or in nightclubs it's a very similar technology but once the batteries were big enough to allow people to have this with them, that's when it became feasible. But he kind of put the whole thing together, and, you know, the rest is history. Now there's millions of people all over the world that have quit smoking because of this technology. And so it's, it's pretty powerful pretty powerful technology. Yeah. And still, I bet you anything that the anti-smoking snobbery side of society, I think it, it is out there, will be saying, <laughs> they haven't given up smoking. They're just changing it. Right. Right, which is just totally dishonest. It's a dishonest way to talk. You well, know, it's, mis just, it's a uh, misunderstanding, perhaps. I don't think so. I think they know. They just would prefer that people don't do anything that's different or they wish there was no dependency. But, you know, for all those coffee drinkers out there like myself, you know, I need, I like having coffee every day. I love it. It's a part of my day. It doesn't really hurt me. Obviously, a little bit of blood pressure maybe and a little bit of that. Some people might say that I'm addicted to coffee because I like to have it every day. But I'm not hurting anybody, and I'm not really hurting myself. I cannot imagine what it would be like if people were trying to ban that because it was similar to something else, like drinking gasoline or something like that. Just because something similar does not mean that it should be banned, and I find it to be really dishonest. I'm not a smoker or a vapor, but I can only imagine, you know, if people were dying from drinking something that looked like coffee and we all switched to coffee, 
and they tried to ban that too, I'd be mad. I'd be really angry. Okay, that's what you're angry about because you can see it saving premature death uh, of a lot of oh, people. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, in, in the movie, we've got former president of the World Medical Association and the former executive director of the World Health Organization saying they believe this can help save hundreds of millions of lives. Yet we've got politicians all over the world that are trying to ban this. This doesn't make sense. Listen to the doctors. Listen to the science. Instead, what we find is there are all these associations and charities that are taking money from really big businesses, and they're coming out against it, and they're very powerful voices. And so we can't let big businesses run our lives and cause us to do things that are killing people. We can't do it. we got to all fight together because if we watch our neighbors suffer and we don't do anything, when it's our time to suffer, there may not be anybody left to help us. Yep, those are good intentions, and everyone should rally behind something that sounds so obviously good, but you've got PR problems. <laughs> yeah, and in some cases, that's, it's made people uncomfortable. And, yeah, there's a PR problem with vaping because of that, but I, I think ultimately every intelligent human being should be able to look past that when they get the facts and not just see people doing crazy things with their vapor clouds, but people that are desperately trying to quit smoking, you know, I hope this film, what it could do is that the public can understand what's going on so that there's less fear of it and less misunderstanding. And hopefully some of these guys blowing the big clouds will kind of wake up and, and stop doing that too at the same time. All right. I want you to clearly outline what you understand to be the difference between smoking a cigarette and vaping. With smoking, you actually light tobacco on fire along with the paper and the ink and the glue that makes that cigarette. And, and when you do that, there's anywhere from 4,000 to some people say 10,000 chemicals that you breathe in, the tar and, you know, and the nicotine. But there's a lot of other chemicals in there. I think it's a double-digit number of them are cancer-causing. And when you breathe that in, study after study shows that one out of two people that smoke regularly will die from that. When you're vaping, which is a different technology, nothing is actually lit on fire. It's actually something where it vaporizes the liquid. So what you're getting is propylene glycol, which is an ice cream and a lot of other things. It's, it's the, it's the liquid that suspends flavorings and it suspends the nicotine. And so it's vaporized. You're breathing in uh, some of the flavoring, you're breathing in some of the nicotine and some of this propylene glycol. And some of the recipes have some water in it too, as well. None of that stuff causes cancer. Nicotine doesn't cause cancer. This propylene glycol doesn't cause cancer. None of that stuff causes cancer at all. If you burn it, it would cause cancer. But the main reason why vaping is safer than smoking is because it doesn't burn anything. Burning is what makes things cause cancer. Because there's some study about how even burnt toast can cause cancer. So by changing a smoker from burning tobacco to vaporizing nicotine, you're cutting out almost all the harm. So that's, that's the main difference. Okay, so the addictive substance is nicotine, and it's the substance that gives you the, that distinctive feeling of you know, why people want to smoke a cigarette. But it's, what you're saying is it's, it's a bit like a Trojan horse. Along with it come the actual cancer-causing ingredients when you smoke a cigarette, but with vaping, they don't. People smoke for the nicotine, but they die from the tar. And so if we can get people to not have that tar and the uh, carbon monoxide that you get from burning, they're going to be okay. You know, we know nicotine isn't a big deal because we sell uh, nicotine gum everywhere and you don't see people 
you know, you don't see nicotine gum junkies running around. It's not that big of a deal. Nicotine gum is not dangerous. You could, you don't even need a prescription for it. Yeah, although nicotine gum is sold as a temporary salve to the withdrawal, is it not? It was, but now they're coming out with all this new guidance saying you can use nicotine gum as long as you need. They were doing that because I think that was a little bit disingenuous for them to, you know, to do that in the first place because they never had any research that nicotine hurt anything. They were just doing that because they didn't want to make it something that people would depend on. But at the end of the day, if you just chew gum instead of smoking, that's definitely much healthier for you. What about the claims that e-cigarettes, I've heard this, uh, could be worse than real cigarettes? <laughs> well, that's... That's ridiculous. <laughs> we went around the world and we were filming on four continents interviewing some of the highest level doctors and scientists, and none of them believe that's even remotely to be the case. They think that's ridiculous. The studies that we're seeing that say that, what they're doing is they're either terrible researchers or they're very dishonest because what they're doing is they're burning the liquid. And as I mentioned earlier, if you burn anything, you're going to be able to cause cancer. And so if you burn the liquid, which is not how, how these vapor, vapor technology is meant to be used, of course you can make it worse than smoking if you want to. You just have to burn it. But that is not how anybody is really doing it because it would taste so bad you would never do it. Uh. And so, yeah, it's, it's dishonest. They're, they are lying to us. And we, the first teaser we put out for the movie is called You Are Being Lied To because that's what's happening. We're being lied to, and it's, it's dishonest. In your movie, what actual physicians, doctors, physiologists have you got to support your argument? Yeah, we have quite a few. I don't I believe we have eight medical doctors and researchers. The former president of the World Medical Association, the former executive director of the World Health Organization, and those two gentlemen were actually the ones that were sort of the leaders of the original anti-smoking movement. In the movie, um, one of them actually says that he was wrong in the past for not supporting this paper technology and they fully are on board with this. We also have a medical doctor in Australia, Dr. Danko. He also has been doing research on this and, and watching how his patients have been handling it and he thinks this is a really great opportunity. Uh, Dr. Glover from New Zealand was actually just briefly in the intro of the film and I met her and talked to her. She's done a lot of research with this. She thinks that this could help solve the problem for some of the indigenous population in New Zealand, where there's four out of every 10 people in some of the indigenous populations in New Zealand are smokers, which means one out of five of them is going to die early from smoking. Oh my goodness, there's quite a few other doctors that have done research there. I think it's eight of them. So I don't have all of them off the top of my head, but it was a pretty impressive list of some of the who's who in this field. I can though. I'm sure it wouldn't take long to find a biochemist or a physician to say it's terrible. Right. And there are plenty of those people. And it's funny because uh, when I was doing the research for this, I think I went through almost 200 hours of different interviews with doctors. And it's interesting. You'll find that a lot of the doctors that are the most vocal thinking that vaping is bad are actually people that are related to the cancer business. And if you think about that, they have a complete conflict of interest with this because their business depends on people getting cancer. And smoking is one of the main, I think it's the main reason why people are getting cancer because it's not just lung cancer they get. They also get all kinds of other cancers from it. And so I find that to be kind of a, a problem. I also find it interesting. Most of the doctors, if you really ask them, I don't know that there's a doctor in the world and I would challenge someone to find one. I don't know if there's one doctor in the world that would say smoking is actually better for people than vaping. I don't think you'd find one because when you push them all, and I've done it, 
they all say, well, of course it's better than smoking. They just have all these other things. But we don't know this and we don't know that. They go on this long list of creating fear. But ultimately, when you get right down to it, they would tell you that smoking is worse than vaping. That's one thing I feel a little uneasy about. I'm not a really subscribed to conspiracy theories. You're ascribing malevolence <laughs> from people that have vested interests in people getting cancer. I go, well, really? Right. right. Well, and I agree. Nothing in the movie actually says that because that would be really hard to prove. But I find it interesting, though, that that's the main groups that are coming out against vaping technology are ones that have taken money from big pharmaceutical companies and depend on them for their financial stability. And so, yeah, you know, that's a problem. Um, whether, I don't know if it's a, a full-out conspiracy, but in my mind, it's certainly a conflict of interest. We can't trust experts come out and tell us what to believe if, if they have a really significant conflict of interest with their funding. And that's something that I think that we're overlooking and the news media needs to do a better job before putting people on their news programs to find out whether they have a conflict of interest or not because it certainly is a conflict of interest there's no doubt about that in my mind e-cigs vaping it's banned in australia yeah yeah and in in our movie we actually interviewed the, there was a gentleman who had his house raided because he was selling some of this vapor technology to smokers who wanted to quit they pretty much ruined his life over it, and they used the law that they have there against candy cigarettes. That's what they used to raid his home, and it's just, uh, it doesn't make sense to me. They ban it, but, you know, you can walk and buy a pack of cigarettes anywhere you want in Australia, but you cannot buy the one technology that many doctors are saying is much safer than smoking. It doesn't make sense. So you know there's something wrong when that's happening. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It took it took a long time for people to see the clear association between smoking and ill health. But uh, we haven't had a long time with vaping. So people would say, well, we should be cautious. We don't know what the long-term effects of this are. It could be worse. Right, right. And, and I, I kind of understand that. But at the same time, I think some people are forgetting that this vapor technology was invented well over 10 years ago. You know, the difference with smoking is, like I said, 4,000 to 10,000 chemicals in there. With vaping, there isn't that many chemicals. And we know what those chemicals do. And the technology itself, those are things that have been around for a long time. And many hospitals actually use that propylene glycol I was telling you about. Yeah. They use that in their hospital's air filtration system to clean the air. So we know nicotine by itself is not going to give you cancer. The chemicals, you know, we're not sure about every chemical or every flavoring, sorry, for every flavoring. We're not completely sure about all of that. You know, what we do know is if we find out something bad about it, we can change it. But what we shouldn't be doing is throwing out a whole technology just because there's a couple uncertainties. That's something that's really silly. If we knew we could save a billion people, even if there was a chance of doing that, mm. we should be taking a really hard look at that. We shouldn't be saying, let's wait 20 years. How long do you need to wait? All the doctors are saying they think this makes sense. Some are saying be cautious, sure, but all of them are saying it probably isn't worse than smoking because smoking is one of the most destructive things in the world right now. How much time do you need, doctor? Should I vape or should I smoke? It's an easy question in my mind. Sure, let's do some research. I think we need more research, sure, but I don't think we need any more research to know that this is the better alternative of the two. Which probably brings us full circle. A lot of the antipathy towards it that people go tut, 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 is that it just still again looks like smoking and 
That's one thing in the movie I agree with most, but it's a difficult thing to change people's attitude, not to look askance at that. People seem to be quite delighted with their own pride, Mm -hmm. pointing at other people saying, you're a bad person because you're doing this. Right. You know, when I talk to these people that are now vaping, they said that they started smoking when they were kids. Okay, so we're willing to dismiss people for one mistake that they made when they were children, and we're willing to let them die. I think as a society, we need to take a good hard look at ourselves and say, are we okay with that? Are we okay with condemning children to death because they made a mistake? And, and I'm willing to put my foot down. I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is. I invested in this film. We made this film because we believe it's time to not dismiss so many people around the world. And I think hopefully if we all take a good hard look at our hearts, we will all agree that nobody who makes a decision as a child should have to die from it because we don't care about them. Thank you very much, director of of A Billion Lives. You coming out to New Zealand for the Documentary Edge Film Festival? Yeah, I'm looking forward. Uh, Doc Edge is one of the best film festivals in the world for documentaries, and we are delighted to come down there for a world premiere. I'm going to be there for several weeks, getting to meet with all kinds of folks from New Zealand and uh, doing some more interviews and press, and I'm really excited to be here on your show. And, yeah, Doc Edge is going to be great. I hope to see some of you guys there. This is freshly in the can, too, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Literally, the version you saw was not actually the final thing. We are shipping it over to New Zealand uh, right actually tomorrow is when it will be shipped. So we are still putting some of the very finalist touches on it. Mm. And uh, it is headed to New Zealand on the airplane tomorrow. So, yeah, <laughs> it's fresh. And we're bringing it to New Zealand because New Zealand not only has one of the best documentary film festivals in the world, But like I said, 40% of the indigenous population there is addicted to smoking. And in some cases, this technology is sort of being discouraged. And so we feel like we got an opportunity here to really make a difference. So we're very excited about that. Okay. We look forward to seeing you in New Zealand for the Documentary Edge Film Festival. Listeners, if you'd like a double pass to this movie or any other, it starts May 4th in Wellington and goes right through May. Second uh, week will be the Auckland season. Just give us a bell now. 0800 844 747. 0800 844 747. Personally, I highly recommend you get your ass to see this one. A Billion Lives. You've been listening to the director, Aaron Beavitt. Thank you. So that wonderful radio interview that Aaron did, um, I don't think a lot of people here listen to it, and I thought you needed to. I've got one more thing that I'm going to play, and this is long. Um, And actually, I'm hoping that the replay doesn't cut it off. But what this comes from, this comes from the Heartland Institute. And Brian and Vicki did a talk there that I thought was absolutely amazing. Um, Some of the people in the chat I know have listened to this because I started talking about it. And they're like, oh yeah, I watched that live. Um, I did not get to watch this live. Uh, It was streamed on April the 20th. And... You know, advocacy is a big thing right now. And if people wondered what they should do or why they need to do it, um, here's why. Welcome, everyone. Good evening. Thanks for being here. Um, Please enjoy your, uh, your food and beverages. Of course, the beverage bar is open. 
for as long as this event goes on. So thank you all for being here. Uh, in the Andrew Breitbart Freedom Center, um, how many here know who Andrew Breitbart is or have heard of Andrew Breitbart? Fantastic, yes. Uh, the Heartland Institute has been honored to name this space in here, our event space, the Andrew Breitbart Freedom Center. Uh, he was a maverick, he was a rebel, he was a game changer, and he took on the establishment. He decided that the left-wing media is lying to us, and we need to get the full truth, and he had to help hold him into account. And uh, we long admired Andrew Breitbart. We've known the people that work at Breitbart.com for quite a long time, and uh, we were very pleased to get the uh, approval of his family and his business to name this place after him. And sometime this summer, I think, we're going to have a, a dedication party, a proper um, event to celebrate the fact that we named it the Andrew Breitbart Freedom Center, and I hope to see you all uh, there at that event as well. That'll be really something special. Uh, my name is Jim Lakely. I'm the Director of Communications here at the Heartland Institute. Um, I see a lot of new faces in here, so indulge me a little bit of, to explain a little bit about what the Heartland Institute is all about. Uh, we're a 32-year-old uh, think tank. Until about eight months ago, we were headquartered in downtown Chicago, which, where we've been for almost our entire existence. And now we're based here in the northwest suburbs of Chicago in Arlington Heights. Uh, we came out here because, well, Chicago is Chicago, and the people in Chicago have a certain mindset. And a lot of the people that would come to our events and support the Heartland Institute as an institution live out here in the suburbs. So we decided uh, when it was a good time to go to come out here and get a whole building for ourselves out where the people appreciate freedom and would love to learn more about it, and that's why we are here. Uh, our mission since our founding has been to discover, develop, and promote free market solutions to social and economic problems. In short, to fight for policies that shrink the scope and the power of government, uh, increase individual liberty, and encourage prosperity through vibrant free markets. Uh, the Heartland Institute covers key aspects of domestic policy. We don't deal with, uh, with foreign policy at all, and we do that through our centers. Our Center on Budgets and Taxes, the Center for School Transformation, a uh, center we call, the, we call Consumers for Healthcare Choices, our Center for Climate and Environmental Policy, and our newest center, uh, the Center on Constitutional Reform, and of course, um, we also deal with issues like tobacco and vaping. Uh, we are amazingly effective in our mission. You can just Google us or ask our opponents uh, in the arena of ideas. As they say, you're known by your enemies, or at least how angry they get. Uh, we're also one of the only free market think tanks in the country who proudly and overtly stands up for the rights of smokers, and now vapors as well, as we're going to learn tonight. Uh, there's rights that vapors have that are also under threat. Uh, we catch a lot of hell for it, uh, but we're very proud to do it. And if you want to learn more, you can click on the tobacco link that's at the bottom, the footer of our uh, webpage, heartland.org. Uh, that's where you'll find, at first, an essay called In Defense of Smokers. Uh, and then there's all sorts of other links in there to a lot of the materials we've done over the years to defend the rights of smokers. If you do like what you see tonight, whether here in person or watching online, and welcome everyone, I encourage you to look around heartland.org, check out our blog, Somewhat Reasonable, check out our daily podcast on iTunes, in which one of our guests tonight has been a guest on our daily podcast. You can check out our YouTube page, in which this uh, live-streamed event will be instantly archived for people to check out. Uh, and I hope that you see all of that to your liking. And uh, you can talk to a Heartland staffer here, more about Heartland Institute, and also how you can borrow books from our library. We're having a grand opening for our library in a couple of weeks. Uh, it is, without a doubt, uh, the best collection of books about free markets and liberty 
in or around Chicago, and it grows with great, more great books each and every day. So if you're interested in researching the free market movement or learning more about liberty and reading the great books about liberty, you can do that here at the Heartland Institute, and we're happy uh, to lend the books out to you. Also, summer is right around the corner as we are experiencing this fantastic weather. So if you have relatives in college uh, who would like to be immersed in a think tank and, and kind of get immersed in the ideas business, that's what we're in, we're in the ideas business. Uh, we have plenty of room in this, in this office space, and uh, we're eager to get some interns in here uh, this year and in years in the future uh, to learn more about the freedom movement and to expand their experience as well. And if these are all things that are important to you, I hope that uh, we could have your support uh, so we can keep informing the public about uh, and elected officials about freedom and liberty and free markets and the importance of protecting these choices that we have, these choices that are ours and should not be taken away in all areas of public life. Uh, we're now ready for the program and uh, on called the Vaping Wars. And there's actually a bit of a victory on the Vaping Wars. Just uh, last yesterday afternoon, uh, the House Appropriations Committee, um, Subcommittee on Agriculture, uh, approved by a vote of 31 to 19, I think, uh, instructing the Food and Drug Administration to not regulate uh, vaping going back to all products presented before 2007. Instead, the regulation will begin when they set the rule, which of course is an enormous victory because 99% of all vaping products are post-2007. And so these are rare victories, and the Heartland Institute uh, actually put out a press release today, and that's very happy news. So yay, happy news. <laughs> but e-cigarettes are becoming increasingly popular, of course, especially among smokers who want to kick the habit, the tar and the hacking uh, of cigarettes that are seeking an alternative to patches and gum that hasn't worked for them. That's a good thing, right? Wrong. You're all wrong. If you're in the eyes of the government, you are all incorrect. Because uh, many municipalities and government agencies uh, think differently because they really don't know the facts, and we're going to learn a lot of facts tonight about the growing war on vaping. As uh, governments want to treat vaping and uh, e-cigarettes just like they do tobacco, even though there's no tobacco at all in a, uh, an electronic cigarette. So what impact do the vapor, vaping wars have on science, on public policy? on business, on jobs, on your freedom. That's what we're going to learn about tonight with our two speakers. Our first speaker tonight is Brian Foytik. He has served in both policy and political positions in various states, working for a United States senator, a governor, a lieutenant governor, a secretary of state, a state senator, and a state representative. He's worked as director of government relations with a major consumer products company from 1996 to 2009 and currently serves as president of Brownstone Communications in Greater Chicago. And our second speaker tonight, and then after they both speak, it'll be a time for a very vigorous Q&A, I hope, is Victoria Vasconcelos. She is a former longtime smoker and the owner of Signot, which she established in 2009. Victoria has made it her mission to ensure that smokers receive support and affordable access to what she considers a life-changing option to smoking. She has personally assisted tens of thousands of smokers as they navigate the path to no longer smoking and is a founding member of the Illinois chapter of the Smoke-Free Alternatives Trade Association known as SAFTA. I'm sorry, S-F-A-T-A. Wow. <laughs> SAFTA. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so let's welcome both of our speakers tonight. And our first speaker to start us off, Brian Foytuk.
Great. Thank you, Jim. Um, welcome, and I'd like to thank the Heartland Institute for inviting me. Uh, I've done work in the past. Well, Jim mentioned a podcast um, that I was an interviewee. Uh, I also did some writing in the past for Heartland and have had occasion to speak at some of their events, and I always recommend with new legislators around the country that they get in touch with the Heartland Institute and their various pillars of interest and experts so that they can be aware of issues and, and uh, it's just an incredible resource to have for them to be able to bring experts and impartial third-party experts to weigh in on different issues and Heartland has also been engaged on um, tobacco harm reduction and vaping issues. One uh, specific person I wanted to mention is Dr. Brad Radu who's a on the faculty at the University of Louisville Medical School. Um, he has really a, he's a friend of mine and he's really a hero to me because he's recognized the concept of tobacco harm reduction and been working on it and writing about it from an academic perspective for decades um, and he's really taken a beating for it. He really um, recognize that combustion of tobacco is what causes the health problems. Inhaling the products of combustion many times every day for many years is what causes almost all the health problems associated with tobacco. And his work primarily focused on smokeless tobacco and he was able to study over a long period of time, I think 25 years in Sweden, as smokers transitioned away from combustible tobacco to get their nicotine and tobacco satisfaction from smokeless tobacco and all the health impacts that we associate with smoking um, decreased proportionally with the decrease in smoking rates in Sweden. It's really a model when they say there's no long-term science or people concerned about nicotine. Um, a, a lot of that, all the work that we rely on now is really a result of people like Brad Radu who is a senior fellow at the Heartland Institute and that's why I um, wanted to bring him up and I would encourage you, he reminds me, he's a lot like Dr. Michael Siegel at Boston University. Both of them promote accurate, valid scientific inquiry into all of these subject areas and the hard part is being willing to call out academic colleagues um, when they don't uphold the standards that we all expect and they don't reveal conflicts of interest and that's also an area that Heartland has is, is really excelled in, in in a lot of different fields. So I'm excited to be here. Uh, three questions I wanted to confront today. First, the war on vaping. I would say, yes, we do have a war on vaping. I don't want to misuse the word war, but it, it truly is a public policy war. So I'm going to try to lay out a little bit about how we got here to the place we're at today. Um, I'm going to raise some of the specific uh, concerns that our adversaries bring up repeatedly. And I think everyone that's new to either, I've, I've worked in tobacco for many years, smokeless tobacco, and I've worked on e-cigarette issues and public policy for many years. And one thing I try to educate people that are new to the vaping business and fighting government is that these people are not gonna stop. The tobacco control folks have an issue of the week they're going to run it. They're going to float any issue they can. If you, you confront their issue, you provide them with science, and they're going to move on and, and bring up other issues. 
and I think we've all seen the media reports in regard to vaping. So I'm going to try to walk through quickly, specifically, some of the uh, concerns that they have raised in regard to e-cigarettes and vapor products. And I'd like to lay out a few of the specific types of proposals that we're seeing around the country from government, um, whether it's at the federal level, most of it at the state and local level. Uh, the first question is, is, where are we and how did we get here? And this is a subject that I've raised in just talking about the concept of tobacco harm reduction. It really goes back 50 years um, in, in a big way to the 1964 Surgeon General's report on smoking and health, which really kind of put a marker down for the federal government um, in regard to recognize, officially recognizing smoking as coming with considerable health risks and laying out those risks and trying to have some sort of response that, um, to, to address those concerns. What we've seen since then, we've seen taxes at the federal level, at the state level, at the local level. If you look at the history of taxes, uh, the Americans for Tax Reform uh, has a tax map that you can look at where we're confronting tax issues um, from a vapor perspective because there's a limited number of people that use the products um, and they continually have gone up. So what, what we've seen in the war on smoking is that we've seen taxes introduced everywhere, passed everywhere, and steadily increasing. We've seen smoking bans, seen education programs in various forms. In the purest, nicest form, they explain to people that it's not healthy to smoke and why and encourage you to consider different options, but we've seen everything where kids learn at school how to go home and shame their parents and make them feel like miserable, dirty smokers. Um, you know, and fear campaigns, shock campaigns, billboards, quit lines. Uh, we've seen litigation, whether it be individual litigation, class action suits, and the, and the biggest was the, a government action by the states. Um, the master settlement agreement, which probably most of you are familiar with, that settled one of those uh, legal claims where the states are paying out a considerable amount of money, are being paid a considerable amount of money from the cigarette companies. And in addition to that, there's also a, a myriad of restrictions on advertising and marketing and, um, and in the ways that you sell your products and market your products. Um, and more recently, what we've seen is the FDA deeming regs that we're all still waiting uh, to see the final rules come out. Uh, we've been waiting for years. And whenever anybody tells me they know when they're going to come out, it's usually the person who talks who doesn't know anything and people who don't talk that might know something. But I've been hearing, honestly, for a year, well, we think it's about 30 days they're going to come out or they're going to come out before Christmas. They're, we don't we don't know, um, but at the end of the day, that's a 50-year campaign, comprehensive, plus million smokers in the United States. According to the Centers for Disease Control and the Lung Association Cancer Society, over 450,000 people, they say, will die from prematurely from smoking-related disease every year. Um, over 70% of smokers have an interest in quitting. A majority of them have tried to quit on multiple occasions. Um, so the, the universe that we're dealing with when the vapor world 
has arisen is most of the people that smoke have smoked a long time and raising taxes on them over and over and over hasn't stopped them. Educating them, scaring them, shaming them hasn't stopped them. Giving them FDA-approved nicotine replacement therapies like the gum and the patch, uh, the nicotine inhaler, and, and prescription medications like Chantix hasn't helped these people. These are inveterate, hardcore smokers. Um, and, that's, and that's really where the vapor industry comes into the world. And I've been someone that has admired the work of the Heartland Institute and other organizations to promote freedom and liberty. I think people are best to make, uh, to, to sort through information and make choices. Nobody cares about a person's life more than that person. So it's always challenging when government tries to make decisions um, for people. And Heartland has really uh, been a leader in that. And I, I'm a believer in the free market, and it's hard to know where we have free markets that still exist. Um, there's been a lot of criticism about our prior, our pre-affordable health care healthcare system and criticism at it like it's a free market problem and it was anything but a free market system. But what I've seen that excites me about the vaping world is it truly is a free market. It's consumer driven. People recognize that smokers are interested in alternatives right now. They are interested in nicotine um, and they are they have a, a wide variety of interests and this, this um, you know, 10 years ago, none of this existed. And now, I mean, there's, it's hard to even keep track. There are numbers I see are, you know, up to 15,000 or more vape shops that exist across the United States. Those are all new businesses. I don't know of many more industries that are growing like the vape industry, um, but those are jobs. They're paying income taxes, they're paying property taxes, they're paying sales taxes. They didn't exist before. Um, and it's really the products that are offered are changing extremely rapidly. There are thousands of products out there, and there are thousands of components to different products, and everybody's trying to figure out what do people want? Is there a significant number of people that want this or that? And it is, it truly is the free market happening right before our eyes, and it, and it happens to be solving a societal problem that the government has spent billions of dollars trying to solve and hasn't been able to solve. Um, and then along come e-cigarettes. So next question is I have, why do, why do they hate us, uh, the vape community and, and advocates and supporters? And I mean, I think it really, part of it gets down to the fact that people were taught to hate smokers for years. They hate smoking, but it doesn't, it's not limited to the activity. They have actually trained children <laughs> from birth, it seems, in this country to despise smoking. Maybe that's a good thing, but also it's kind of translated to despise the dirty vermin of people that happen to smoke cigarettes. And I think that sort of has extended to vaping as well. And it's also vaping is truly, uh, the industry is a disruptive technology. Um, it's disruptive to a number of different entrenched interests. And as much as anyone says they like change and they want change or they vote for hope and change, people are really uncomfortable with change. And it, it doesn't have to be a bad thing, but 
this technology that it, it's disrupted, uh, I mean, I look at who it's disrupted, and I start with the government. It's disrupted because they're, um, they're addicted to tobacco money. And whether it's cigarette taxes and smokeless tobacco taxes and, and master settlement annual payments that the cigarette companies give to the states, they're using not to promote health and save people's lives, but they're building bridges and doing whatever it is they want to do with that money. So this, the cigarette tax revenues have been declining uh, consistently over a long period of time. Now, the tobacco master settlement agreements to the states are also dependent upon cigarette sales. So if you sell less Marlboro in Illinois, well, Altria, the owner of Marlboro, will talk to the state and say, we sold less cigarettes this year, so we, we want $100 million back from what we gave you, and they get it back. So states are finding themselves pinched by people not smoking, and uh, that's disruptive to them. Other entities that are, that are disrupted are tobacco control and public health. They've pretty much done everything you can do to the cigarette industry. I mean, they've raised the taxes. You can't smoke here. It's just, yeah, and this has come along, and it's actually moving smokers away from smoking. Um, and when your whole life only exists to work 40, 40 hours a week to tell people not to smoke, and to access grant money to develop programs to tell people not to smoke, and someone comes along out of left field and just offers an alternative and it's working, that's really a significant and significantly funded uh, entity that is disrupted. The third I would list is pharmaceutical companies. Been a few references today to uh, nicotine replacement therapy, the gum, the patch, the nicotine inhaler, uh, prescription medications to help people stop smoking. The reality is, at least in terms of the NRTs, they fail over 93% of the time. Uh, these are FDA-approved products. We're often asked, well, why don't you just become FDA-approved um, e-cigarettes? Well, it might cost you 20 or $30 million to be approved. And, and one, there's one statement I heard. It was actually at a Heartland event, and I can't remember the scientist's name, but he, he told a story about um, the guy that invented the catalytic converter and explained what a significant development it was and how it would help with automobiles and pollution and everything else. And then the government mandated that every car include one of those. And he said, wasn't that the best day of your life? Your invention <laughs> was mandated by the government. And the guy said, no, it wasn't the best day. It was one of the worst days because I thought it was a really neat idea and it helped, but once the government says everybody's gotta have this, then innovation completely stops. And that's one of the real concerns about what's happening at the federal level with FDA, even with the changes. I mean, through that path, I don't think any products have ever been approved. The system was set up to stop any new tobacco products from coming to market. So you'll spend millions and millions of dollars trying to get something approved. And shops, like Vicky owns several shops, and you have all the different lines, SKUs of e-liquids, um, different nicotine levels, different flavors. Each one of those, even a different size bottle of the same exact liquid would require a different approval. So what happens is innovation completely shuts down. And the pharmaceutical companies where this started, they kind of have a nice little racket because they... 
They're subsidized by the government. Well, first of all, they're not taxed. They're usually, they're exempt from all these taxes, even the vapor taxes. They say products containing nicotine, and then the exception is unless they're FDA approved. So they're not taxed. They're regularly subsidized either directly by the government or they're mandated to be included in insurance coverage or they're provided for all public employees in their health plans. So you get free gum. Well, it's free for you, but the pharmaceutical companies are getting paid. And you use your gum and it doesn't work and then you go back to smoking. And six months later, you, you, might, be able, you might have mandated coverage and you get the patch for free. And it's, the pharmaceutical companies are getting paid and they're getting repeat customers that are coming back after failing. But those products fail over 93% of the time. I think Shantix can be more, have a higher rate, but people are understandably concerned about trying it because they know of the side effects of the medication. Um, so that's an issue there. And, and the last one I mentioned about disruption is cigarette companies. And they understandably are disrupted that uh, people sell a lot of cigarettes in this country. If consumers are choosing a different product, that disrupts their, their model. And I think what they've done is recognize the credibility of this category and started to invest in it and want to be a part of it. Oftentimes, our, our concerns fall in the same place and we work together, oftentimes we have different interests. And I think anybody going into it should go in with open eyes. But those are four powerful entrenched interests that have all been disrupted because of the rise of electronic cigarettes. In terms of the issues that are being raised to confront the products, like I said, they will bring up something new as long as they exist. Um, but one of them is secondhand vapor, and secondhand vapor is not benign, but it has never been demonstrated to cause any health concerns. Um, you could compare it to cigarette smoking, and it doesn't even compare. Uh, and, and I discourage people from doing that too widely because cigarette smoking is already banned and despised everywhere. You don't even have to compare it to cigarettes. You can compare it to sitting on a street corner and waiting for the bus stop or breathing the air in downtown Chicago, and that's a more apt comparison. But if you look at anything that is related to health impacts and OSHA standards of clean air in a workplace and everything like that, there's never been any concern about secondhand vapor. It's been admitted, I was in New York City when they passed their vaping ban, and even their health commissioner, when pressed, said, yeah, there is no science to support this. We don't have any science. It's just, uh, he said, we have trouble with enforcing our existing smoking ban because, gosh, people might be using products and we don't know what they're doing. And the idea of renormalizing smoking, which I'll bring up. Nicotine health risks is another issue. Nicotine has gotten a really, really, really bad rap because smokers, in one reason they smoke, I wouldn't say that it's the only reason at all, but is to get nicotine and get it delivered in the way it is and smoking is not good for you. But people have translated that concern about health impacts of smoking to nicotine, and the, it's, it's not a, a valid concern, but it is a real one. Uh, nicotine is comparable to caffeine and its impact on you. If, you, if you. if I drink a pot of coffee and get a little shaky, I know to stop, uh, maybe not have another cup of coffee, it, and it reacts the same way um, with me, and, and there are a small number of people that are at higher risks, 
if you have certain heart conditions, but it's a very small number and it is not a substance that is dangerous to the extent that people associate it and confuse it with smoking. Uh, the other is nicotine addiction. What we're learning about nicotine addiction is that cigarettes, every, everything that we've looked at over the years, it seems, and a lot of the studies over the past couple of decades of nicotine and impacts are, are all understandably associated with smoking. So people assumed, they drew conclusions about nicotine and its impact on the body based on studies of smoking. What we're learning though is if you use smokeless tobacco, if you use nicotine replacement therapy, if you use different e-cigarette products, your body absorbs nicotine in different ways. And people throw around words like addiction. That's been one of my pet peeves of is this idea that, well, you're still addicts. And I, and I think, well, you can't go into a bar and say everybody there that has a beer is an addict. And I think as a health professional, there's probably pretty reckless use of language and irresponsible language to refer to people that way. But it certainly is a, an issue they're driving. Nicotine poisoning. Um, there have been a couple of incidents around the country where a kid or a pet has gotten a hold of, of nicotine. I think the, the one that I'm most familiar with was in New York State. There's a big confusion between e-liquid, which most of you know, they use the products that you put into your device, which has a very small percentage diluted amount of nicotine in the, in the high percentage pure nicotine that you put into the liquid. So honestly, the, uh, the tobacco control advocates will use anything and everything to create fear. Really high temperatures to produce formaldehyde, but they were at such temperatures that no one could ever in a million years use the products that way. No one ever would. There's even a term in, in the vaping community, it's called a dry hit. If you got it for one-tenth of one second, you stop. It's, um, battery safety is a legitimate issue. We've seen a few incidents recently, um, and it is a concern. Not a concern in most products, but people should, and I encourage shops to educate people depending on the types of products people are using. Um, carcinogens and toxicants are present in everything. The question, the, the dose makes the poison is a commonly used phrase, and just finding the mere existence in minuscule amounts of some chemical does not necessarily mean the product is of concern, and they haven't demonstrated that any of these products have uh, toxicants or carcinogens in any level of concern. Others are heavy metals, lung irritation. A, a big one that they fall back on is risks to the population. Once you lose every argument, every, on every scientific basis, you say, I mean, they rely on the precautionary principle, which is very familiar to people in the sort of a health policy world, and I consider it a pure evil and an anti-freedom. It, it basically says, well, let's ban it until you can prove that it's safe without a doubt and will never harm anybody anywhere. And they've used these risks of the population saying, well, sure, it's not as bad as smoking. Sure, it doesn't have risks that should make a, you know, alarm us to a great extent but maybe we should just ban it or heavily restrict it because who knows what might happen. Maybe people who are going to quit smoking 
will continue to smoke because they'll use these products. Maybe new people who never would have smoked will use these products and then become smokers. Um, that's the gateway argument, which uh, we see in drug policy. I see a lot of consistency between a lot of our issues and, and our drug policy. But the idea that if you use this, well, you're going to start with this, and you're going to be hooked on nicotine, then you're going to want to smoke the real thing, and you're going to smoke cigarettes, and then you're going to die. So we should, but the, the science all demonstrates the exact opposite, that people are, the people that use the products, up to 99% of them are current smokers or former smokers, and the path of the population to and from these products is, is that people are using these products to move away from combustible tobacco, not to move for it. Uh, we've seen flavor concerns, any, uh, and, it's, and it's interesting. I understand the reaction. People see interesting flavors and think, well, that, and they've never, these are people as well that have never smoked. Um, that I question whether they've ever smiled or maybe once, once a year they smile. They don't want people to have fun. They don't want adults to enjoy something. And when they see it happening, they have great concerns and they need to step up. And flavors is where that plays in. And everybody who's a vapor understands it, even smokers. Vicki could tell you a lot of these folks own businesses if a smoker comes into your shop, they all think, well, I don't want any of this fruity, fruity, fruity flavor. I just want tobacco flavor or menthol. That's what I smoke. And that's an easy transition. So it makes sense that you offer those flavors. For me, I smoked for 28 years. I'm about three and a half years smoke-free, and I use these products with a wide variety of flavors. It's just like anything else. People like certain kinds of desserts. There are things I can vape that I can't eat because I'll get fat. Uh, I mean, but honestly, I can vape bananas foster after dinner and have a cup of coffee. I don't want to vape scotch in the morning, but I might want to vape it at night. Um, apple pie is nice, but I don't want to eat apple pie every day, nor do I want to vape it every day. But everybody is different. Everybody has a different palate. Everybody has different tastes. People are having fun creating exciting new things and trying to identify the, net, the consumer demand that exists and, and latch on to something. And it's exciting, and that just really bothers a lot of people. So they assume if it's an exciting, fun flavor, it must be for children. I go to the pharmacy. I did this. We did this a few years ago when I worked in smokeless tobacco, and they were trying to ban flavors. But we had a table, like one of these, filled up with products from the pharmacy. And it's, you know, Metamucil and uh, gummy calcium, and, and it's all of these products that are clearly designed for adults, often senior citizens, and they're flavored. People like flavors. Um, now I'm going to run through some of what we've seen at the state level. Uh, I mentioned the FDA regulation. We've seen, um, and the industry has supported bans on sales of these products to minors. One point worth mentioning is the only groups that I've seen oppose bans on sales to minors are the tobacco control groups, the public health groups. They fought it in Michigan. I mean, we fought for it. Everybody in the industry did. Thousands and thousands of consumers writing letters saying, pass a law, ban the sale of these products to minors. 
We're, we're concerned that they not be defined as tobacco products because they're not, and we don't want to get swept into every law that's been passed to affect tobacco, but we support ban on sale to minors. And in two states, Michigan and Missouri, we, uh, we fought, and the, the governor actually, uh, bills were passed, and the, it was the Cancer Society and the Lung Association that got the governor to veto a bill to ban sales to minors. Why? Because it's not regulating enough. It's not taxing enough. It's a Trojan horse. And the reality is what they've demonstrated through this fight is they would rather use children to promote their political ends than to actually protect children and, and take them out of the equation. Taxes we've seen everywhere. As I mentioned, Americans for Tax Reform, they have a map online. I believe it was just updated. Last year, we had 26 taxes in states that we fought. I think currently there are 11 that are alive right now. We've defeated most of them. Um, one of the problems that I mentioned earlier about government being disrupted, they're seeing tobacco cigarette tax revenues decline. They want that money. They're addicted to it. And they're seeing master settlement payments to the states decline. So they think, well, gosh, I've heard about this multi-billion dollar e-cigarette industry. We need to create a tax on those guys because we're going to you know, backfill our hole from lost tobacco revenue. The reality is there is no model that would allow them to do that. If you take ethics and good health policy out of it, there's no way to tax these products to raise the money they want because the neighboring state doesn't have a tax. The products are widely available through adult uh, you know, approved transactions online. People are already moving. You can buy cigarettes on almost every street corner in America, every gas station, convenience store, pharmacy, get grocery store. People that use these products get in their car and drive 15 or 20 minutes to find what they need. And if their shop next to them doesn't have it, they go further. Or they order it online and wait a few days. So it's, and, and there's, there's, Several states that have passed taxes, Minnesota has a tax, North Carolina, Louisiana. There are, I believe, seven municipal governments that have taxes, uh, D.C., Chicago, um, a bunch in Alaska. Um, but there really is no way to tax these that makes sense. Excise taxes are, in theory, created, they're otherwise called sin taxes, to discourage people from doing what they believe to be an unhealthy behavior with bad impacts. They're applied to cigarettes and tobacco, beer, wine, liquor, uh, gasoline. And the idea is if there's a tax on it, people will consume a little bit less of it, so there'll be less negative impact. And if they consume a certain amount of it, and there is a negative impact on healthcare costs or pollution, that we're getting some money that we can theoretically use to, uh, you know, to to respond to those uh, problems that are caused by the consumption. Well, these products are not demonstrated to cause harm. Um, you can make a very strong argument that they mitigate harm caused by smoking. So it doesn't make sense from a public health perspective, and there's no way to do it from a fiscal perspective. Sometimes they want to tax it if it includes nicotine. And you go, okay, well, nicotine is what's bad then. And they go, yeah, we got to, because nicotine's addictive. So the ones with more nicotine in them, we should tax more. And the little cigalike products like these have the highest concentration of nicotine in them. But if you're a 30-year smoker and you're transitioning, you need some nicotine. 
So you basically you think you should tax the products higher that are going to most benefit long-term smokers. And they go, well, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Maybe we shouldn't. And they run around. Then they go, well, we're going to tax the whole thing, every device in there. And the reality is most of those, the, the parts of the devices you can buy at any hardware store, you can buy it at Walmart. Are you going to tax co organic cotton and wire and screws? And it, it's, it's just completely unworkable. Um, yeah. Usage bans, flavor bans, and restrictions. Defining these products as tobacco products. Licensing and regulation, usually designed to keep other people out of the market. And uh, the worst legislation we've seen in the country wasn't just introduced, it was passed, and it was passed in Indiana by good Republicans. Horrible, horrible piece of legislation. They tried to pass it in Georgia this year. Um, that one threw everyone off guard because it has about 50 different pieces of it that weren't clear to anyone. But really what it does is it sets up a monopoly. It creates a security framework and required government approval such that only one company in Indiana can be the security company to um, allow liquid manufacturers to get approved and sell. And if they don't want to take any more customers, they won't. That's being litigated right now, but those are good conservative Republican friends in Indiana that passed the worst bill in the country, worse than California, worse than Massachusetts, Indiana, if any, anyone's listening online. <laughs> um, the, the, the real risk does not come from not regulating these products. The real risk comes from regulating them too much. Um, and I think that public policymakers should try to uh, work with the vape community and understand the dynamic that's occurring before they legislate. Um, and there's three qualities I think they should encourage in anything they do, or at least not impede. I think products need to be affordable for people to use them. Um, and that means taxes are a no-no. Additional taxes are a no-no. And it also means that when you create heavy regulatory burdens that are too expensive for businesses to comply with that drive up the price of the product, well, if somebody can buy a pack of cigarettes for six bucks, you know, you don't want the alternative product with no tobacco and no combustion to cost $9 or fewer people are going to be willing to make that choice. Products should be available. I mentioned that their cigarettes are sold everywhere across America. It's a great country. I think that's a wonderful thing. Uh, but these products are not available. People are willing to work and fight to get the products they want and wait and travel and drive. And when you restrict them and re over-regulate them, they're going to be that much more difficult to get. And the last part is an important one, is that products should be appealing for the adults who use them. One thing we've mentioned today is that these are not tobacco products. Government does not understand that and they want to regulate them exactly the same as a cigarette. It's bad policy. The other important thing that's forgotten is these are not medicines. I think there's a mindset in public health and tobacco control such that, you know, you, well, you take the gum not because you enjoy it, but because you're suffering from a medical condition. You're addicted to smoking. We're going to give you some medicine and make it tolerable for you, like, you know, flu medicine. So you can drink a shot of uh, NyQuil and get to sleep and, and feel better. 
But the reality is these products do not work. They're not medicines. They're not designed to solve any medical condition. They only work if people enjoy them. And the ways people are enjoy, enjoy them is they can find the devices that work for them and they can find the flavors that they enjoy. And products are coming out constantly and evolving and people's tastes are changing. Um, I know I've gone over my time. I was given some permission to do that. Um, but I think those are the, uh, some of the, the, the overview of the dynamic that's occurring. And I, I do a lot of work with the vape community and, and every organization with Safada. CASA represents consumers. Uh, Vista is another group that works with businesses. There are other, and I try to help folks explain how do you approach a legislator, how do you talk to them, how do you talk about these issues. And I encourage people to be respectful, understand that legislators are bombarded by all of these crazy news stories that we all see. We pull our hair out about they they don't know much about it they're experts in a couple things they deal with hundreds of different issues so be patient with them be respectful tell your story um and and become a friend and and hold their hand and let them like you so they want to talk to you again and and lead them along the path and to the public health community i would remind them it hasn't happened yet but it's important to remember that there's estimated up to nine or ten million vapors in the united states of america and those people are the public in public health. So rather than declare war on 10 million people and 40 million prospective people who might move here, rather than declare war and try to win, why don't you sit down with the vaping community and people that use these products, try to understand how long did you smoke? What are you using? What works for you? What doesn't work for you? Maybe learn something. And, and, and I know that the vapor community is extremely interested in real science. And there's nobody better at it. And there's nobody better at staying on top of the science that comes out and sharing information. We want real science. We want safe products. We want safety and efficacy, anything that can be improved to make the products better. The entire vape community supports that. But we, that's not what we're seeing now. We're seeing people put out pseudoscience and nonsense in an effort to villainize 10 million people and then villainize an entire segment of products to put them out of business. And that's really, to me, not public health. It's fighting the public. And um, I'll be happy to take questions with Vicki. But um, Vicki is up next, and Vicki is a friend I'm glad that she could be here today. I visited and shopped at, at some of her uh, vape shops. And I've been honored to work with her, not only in Illinois, but around the country. And there are, I know it's a frustration for some business owners in the community that some people step up and write the check and get organized and hire a lobbyist and bring everybody to a meeting. But Vicki is somebody I greatly, greatly admire and respect for her you know, getting behind the effort and organizing people and explaining why it matters and why fighting this should be an investment. It's part of your business model. Um, so I'll turn it over to Vicki, but that's. Well, thank you guys for coming out and thank you, Brian, and thanks for having us here. And I don't know that I can add much to what Brian said. <laughs> 
I do, uh, I read something the other day, and it was about this precautionary principle that the public health uh, seems to uh, speak to legislators about. And what I read was that restricting access to e-cigs is like locking the um, fire exit door because you fear that the landing outside might be wet and slippery. Um, and I thought that was brilliant. Um, I think that I would tell you that the vendors we have in this room, um, we're resilient. You know, as laws pass, we figure out workarounds. Most of these products are adopted from other technologies. And as things are set in our path, we will find a way to serve our consumers. Signot uh, began that way. I thought that the FDA was heavy-handed in how they were treating vapor products in 2009, and I thought that many smokers wouldn't go the extra mile to be able to get them in, so I made it my mission to do so, because as many smokers needed to know about these as possible. I'm going to rush us into the Q&A, uh, because I think, Brian, really, you did cover a good deal of stuff. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. It was, it was fabulous. But there may be a lot of questions, and I really want to get to the Q&A part of it. May I ask you a question, Certainly. Victoria? Well, we were talking earlier, but um, from a business owner's perspective, doing business in the greater Chicago area, what decisions made either by the city or Cook County have affected your business decisions and future planning? Well, mine personally, um, December 30th, I had a minivan run around and pick up all nicotine from my Cook County stores. The reason being is that I had to pull a tobacco license. And while it is absolutely principal to not pull one because I sell no tobacco, I was also fearing that once they label me a tobacco store, my customers would later be taxed on things like batteries and cotton balls. Um, so Signot did that in Cook County. I know that Chicago has done workarounds with the tax in that they sell higher milligram nicotine in smaller quantities and their larger bottles of e-liquid are zero because in Cook, uh, both in Cook County and in Chicago, the nicotine is taxed per milliliter. Um, I th we've seen a big failure, I believe it was Maryland? There was a there was a tax done, and it's a you know they expected millions of dollars, and they've gotten and these are numbers I don't know 175 thousand. It was it's been a miserable failure. When they zig, we zag. We this has been a consumer-driven industry, and we will do what we can to protect our consumers. And I think the businesses out there, we're just simply resilient. They're going to have a hard time keeping up with us. Thank you, sir. All right. Thanks, Vicki. Excellent. Uh, you all can't see this because we're not showing the live stream on a big screen in this room, but the chat room, all you guys out there, is extremely happy today. In fact, one of the comments in the chat room is, all the vaping celebrities are here. So that's extremely exciting. And as I mentioned in the chat, please put question in all caps so that I can easily find it in a fast-moving chat and ask it um, 
to our group. In fact, here one, here's one right here from someone called Crappy Guitarist. Hello, Crappy Guitarist. I think you're selling yourself short, but I haven't heard you. He says simply, what can the little guy do to help? Um, I recommend that everybody who discovers these products and discovers they have a positive impact on your own life or someone you love that you join CASA. It's the Consumer Advocates for Smoke-Free Alternatives Association. We're horrible with all of our and it, that's from an individual perspective. The one thing that they do, they have a, uh, their database right now, I think, is over 135,000 members. And they are kept abreast of what's going on at the local level to the extent we can follow it. It's very difficult at the state level, at the federal level. And they use a system to target um, communications from consumers to elected officials to let them know and from a business perspective I'll turn it over to Vicki to answer. Well in Illinois um, we have Safada and um, certainly join Safada and you know meet with your local legislators that's so important because while we have a lobbyist at the state level who's an incredible asset and keeps us surprised of things, where they're picking us off is in the, in the municipalities and in the counties. It's really important where you do business and where you live that you connect with your local government and keep them apprised and keep them educated. In legislative meetings, the words I hear the most out of the public health is, we just don't know. Well help them know. The science is out there. They're just not being delivered it. And the public health departments have contact with our legislative leaders constantly. That's what they do for a living. We need to do that. We need for them to want to court our vote. What is Safada? The Smoke-Free Alternatives Trade Association. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you remember? I was corrected on that earlier. Yeah. All right. And if you have a question here in the audience, please just raise your hand and uh, Lindsay will come around with the microphone so that people on the live stream can hear the question. Ma'am. So in line with um, dealing with your local officials, so say for example, I go to a board of trustees meeting in my little village of Mount Prospect. Because in my little village, where they've tried to generate a lot of um, um, well, all they've generated is failing businesses because they built these condos in downtown Mount Prospect with shops underneath and they're all empty and mm -hmm. someone goes in for a month and it's empty again. But anyway, so some of these restaurants, you know, they're putting up these little circles now. In, in addition to no guns and no smoking, they've got no vaping, uh, you know, these little symbols. So let's say I'm going to go to a board meeting with the trustees and I'm going to say why this isn't necessary. What, what kind of information, how do I get help as to how to outline what I tell them? I would tell you to go to your local vape shop and they can guide you or CASA, go on to the CASA website, but if you go to them, they can go with you, they can contact me, I would go with you. Um, and just support you. I mean, you're a resident there, and we, many of us, 
know the science behind it. Um, it's, it's a public perception thing, and it's just about education. They don't know. They're being taught to fear it. They, you know, we're addicting children. We're luring them in with gummy bears. They don't know. Their, their fears are genuine because what they're being told is, is just simply not true. So contact us. We'll be there. One right there. But let me take another online question while Lindsay makes her way over to Mark. Uh, actually, a couple of uh, people asked this question. Nox Noir uh, and uh, the second person was Viri Bowering. Okay. Anyway, they both had a similar question. Uh, could be summed up. How can we counter the direct access the alphabet groups in in Washington uh, have with politicians uh, that they use to promote junk science about vaping? I think maybe that, and there's a couple of questions on, about on, on the chat room, kind of how to get organized and, you know, stop the shop drama and all that stuff. But, you know, how does the vaping community get together to have the kind of influence that is necessary, frankly, in Washington to prevent bad things? Um, I will answer that. I think there's been a couple of perspectives that are, one, people look at groups like pharma which is an organized uh, an organization made up of pharmaceutical companies to represent their shared interests when they have them. It was carefully built over many years, over a long period of time. So people look at the vaping community and say, well, why don't we have that? And they get frustrated because there truly are different groups. Uh, it is a new industry. Um, and there are, and people are frustrated by the fact that there are different groups. But I can tell you as well, from a lengthier perspective, I've worked on tobacco harm reduction for smokeless tobacco for many years. And, you know, 15 years ago, if we could get one line in a horrible, horrible article in the New York Times that was usually misguided and misleading, if not outright false, if we could get one line that just said, and so-and-so said that it might be less harmful to use a non-combustible product versus a cigarette. We saw that as a victory. Um, things have improved a lot. There's still a long way to go. But one thing that's made a difference with the Cancer Society, the Heart and Lung Association, uh, every county smoke-free tobacco control organization, is when we show up at these hearings, um, and there's a room full of 20 or 30 vapors, most, you know, 10 or 15 of those know all the science. They know all the studies that are out there. They know the critiques of the studies that have been made. They know a hell of a lot more than the person who's been representing the Cancer Society for Cook County and showing up at her hearings and reading her, her uh, testimony that was sent in from Washington, D.C. Uh, the reality is they recognize it too. So I've noticed, you know, in Massachusetts, even places where there's just aggressive uh, government intrusion into the world, and they they pull back because they know if I get up there and lie, I've got a room full of people that are that know a lot more about this than I do. So I've noticed that. I've also noticed that researchers and academics that put out bullshit, pardon me, <laughs> science. Um, they're getting called on it. So if, if you put out a bad study or a misleading study or you're drawing conclusions and putting out a press release that has nothing to do with what your actual study or paper was, 
somebody in our community will have it a day in advance and it'll be embargoed and they'll give a comment to the press. But those things go out and people, it, I, I, it gives pause to them. They're not used to being confronted on Twitter. It drives them nuts. <laughs> Chicago, when Chicago passed the vaping ban, um, they were so frustrated by hearing from all these vapors that they commissioned a study of social media and I think they spent $35,000 to say, well, who's paying for this? They don't believe real people. I, I've, I've worked in big industry, and people pay a lot of money to create the perception that you have a groundswell and grassroots activism. And what we have in the vapor community is no money, no real formal organization across the board, but you have a lot of passionate people that have been beaten down for being smokers for years and years, and they finally found a path that they feel good about, that's working for them and improved their lives, and they're standing up. It's a genuine grassroots movement that's occurring, and it's growing, and it's educated, and it's electronically connected. So I would say we're making progress, and, and it's, it's been substantive. And when you question a, an academic's paper, those people were the white hats. If you're against smoking and you put anything out there, nobody's going to criticize you and beat you up for villainizing smoking. But that's not the case anymore. And it, it gives pause to some people that are concerned, perhaps, about the reputation. And it also encourages people. I mentioned Dr. Radu. He's willing to write a paper and say, here's why these three studies or this statement from the Centers for Disease Control are misleading or completely false and lay it out. And he did that, and he was really dealt a negative impact to his life by doing that. If you take on the Cancer Society and the Heart-Lung Association and the Tobacco Control, they come after you. They came after him, but he's, he never wavered. That's why he's one of my heroes, is he's, he weathered through this storm, and he's sort of being proven right now. But the, Dr. Siegel at Boston University, David Sweener in Ottawa, I believe, um, Clive Bates, who ran Action and Smoking and Health in the UK. These people have credibility and they're willing to stand up. And, and I think we have truth on our side and we just need to keep going and we will win. 90 seconds. Somebody just commented on Twitter that it's people like Brian and Vicky that make the vaping community so great. And oh, I would have to sweet. agree, isn't Thank that sweet? Um, <laughs> no, it doesn't say, doesn't say mom. Uh, Christopher Scheller, actually, so you can thank him. But before we get back to Mark, and, and you can add, you should, everyone. Okay, guys, um, Mixler is going to hang up on me now, so unfortunately that's all of that I can play. Um, and anybody who... 60 seconds. Oh, shut up, lady. <laughs> anybody who would like to listen to the remainder of this, or if you would like to put the link out there... Um, for anybody to watch this entire video um it is posted on the heartland institute's youtube page and um you just need to search the vaping wars and um it should show up underneath the heartland institute again my thanks to aaron biebert for allowing me to play his video and um his radio interview and thank you very much to the heartland institute for allowing me and granting me permission um, to play this audio from their video. Bye, everybody. I'll see you next week. And it is DIY. Bye. 10 seconds.